Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. This is episode number 11 of the Midlife Crisis Podcast. My name is Jim Whalen here at Chops Sports Family Network in Manawan, New Jersey. Dave Sergio is here. Find him on social media at Chop Sports. If you like wrestling, you like Cowboys uh, football, you're in the right place. Uh, also follow me on, on uh, Facebook at, at Midlife Crisis Podcast. Also on X and um, Instagram at Whalebones, Whalebones with a Z. Uh, growing up, I... In the 90s, you listen to sports radio, Mike and the Mad Dog in the New York City area was always was always big. Um, sometimes they come up with different topics. Uh, you talk about sports or if you're in a local bar, you talk about sports and then you like hear about different things going on. I'm a student of history. Uh, I came across a, a television program and it talked about Eisenhower meeting aliens. So I said, let me let me let me do a little more research on this. I reached out to uh, an author. Uh, he was willing to come by. Oppenheimer is a big film uh, coming up in the uh, in the uh, award season with uh, the Oscars and everything. Um, I was also a military history. I read a lot of books on, on military and hearing about Eisenhower and me with aliens back in 1954 as as he was president. You know, World War II, the the Foo Fighters uh, was a uh, was a, a name that they had with planes that they would see. Uh, uh, you know. UFOs in there, and Dave Dave Grohl named his band after the Foo Fighters, which was popular in the nineties. So we're coming up to the seventieth anniversary of a, a summit where uh, Eisenhower met with aliens out at uh, Murak Air Force Base, also called as uh, Edwards Air Force Base. Um, Dave Sturgeon is about to cancel my show and probably throw me out of the building after this episode. But my next guest wrote a book on this topic. He wrote about two books: uh, one about uh, Dwight Eisenhower's uh, close encounters. And also about Jackie Gleason and Richard Nixon and their uh, their UFO encounters. Uh, I'd like to introduce you, uh, Paul Blake Smith, uh, Kansas City fan and uh, UFO enthusiast. Yeah, I said you don't. You said you don't know anything about basketball. I don't know anything about uh, UFOs. So hopefully we can learn something from each other. But uh, uh, I know that there was a basketball team that uh, coming home in Missouri. They did see a an alien uh in missouri you know anything about that i think i saw that somewhere was that practice. like the old piedmont missouri uh yeah that sounds that sounds yeah. that yeah. sounds about right that sounds about right so so um but let's dive into like um i listened to your book uh with Dwight white eisenhower you have it in the back close encounters i mean, first of all the detail was incredible uh you, you know if you were Presenting the case, I think that the case would have been, uh, you know, really um, solid. I mean, there, there's a lot of, a lot of, and I know there's a lot, you put in, in early a lot of, you know, a lot of, in, you know, versions and everything else. But I mean, you really did your research. It really was detailed. I was listening to and from work. This is not my job. I do, do have a job. But, uh, uh, and you make a pretty good argument. Let's talk about a little bit about uh, Dwight Eisenhower. He was, uh, you know, Golfer, you mentioned he was the first aviator president. Uh, just talk about, you know, Eisenhower and, uh, you know, how about um, about his introduction to UFOs and like uh, how, what do you think his, his, what he knew, what did he know, when did he know it? So, yeah, I was surprised by a few things about Eisenhower. Uh, he was a big football uh, player and a football fan, and he was an avid golfer. And that kind of comes in later in our story. But as he grew up, uh, he was obsessed with the military. And to my surprise, 
He joined the army against his mother's wishes. She was a pacifist, and he right. never saw battle. Uh, he was never in combat, never fired a shot at anyone, I don't think. He was really good at strategy and logistics and planning. So they used Dwight Eisenhower uh, in that uh, mode for the, uh, uh, the First World War, but mostly the Second World War. And uh, President Roosevelt selected him above like 40 other candidates to run the war. And he did so expertly. Uh, they wiped out the Nazi war machine, which everyone thought was invincible in Europe. And yeah. it, it, Eisenhower became a national hero. When he came home, they threw him a ticker tape parade as the Supreme Allied Commander. Everyone loved Eisenhower. Yeah. Uh, lots of Democrats voted for him. And he won in a landslide in 52 and took office in January of 53. And as I point out in my book, uh, he was obsessed with golf so much he would take golf vacations over and over like a couple dozen times to Augusta National Golf Course in um, uh, Georgia yeah. near the South Carolina border. And uh, so much that they named a, a cabin out there. They built him a house on one of the greens and named it the Eisenhower uh, home. And uh, they named a tree after him uh, because he always complained about hitting around this tree. So for some reason, Eisenhower decided he had to go golfing again just after a, a vacation in Georgia, but all the way 2,700 miles away in Palm Springs, California. Now, why in the world would a president need to go all the way out there to play golf for a few days? Well, we start to find out, as I put in my book, just a, a, as much anecdotal or circumstantial evidence as I can to make a really good case, because I don't have access to the top secret files, yeah. that Eisenhower set this up in advance to uh, give him a pretext for being in the area. It was right close to Edwards Air Force Base, the most high-tech uh, air, air uh, and space uh, program we had was out there. And he went uh, out one night without the press knowing they were distracted by a party going on in a hotel in Palm Springs. So Eisenhower flew out in the cover of darkness to uh, Edwards Air Force Base. And uh, there he met some VIP visitors on the uh, tarmac uh, near an open hangar. He was inside the hangar, according to an eyewitness who was there, surrounded by six bodyguards and a uh, U.S. Air Force test pilot who knew a great deal about uh, aerodynamics and flight. What had come in earlier in the afternoon was apparently through a prearranged uh, high-frequency radio communication program, visitors from another world. They yeah. were said to be human-like, uh, just like us, only a little misshapen, according to the Air Force test pilot. They came down in five craft, three circular, two elongated, and they were quite peaceful and friendly. They were unarmed. Uh, they were met by a welcoming committee that first had to check them out, make sure it was safe. And when they did, they called the president and said, come on down. <laughs> so yeah. he did, and uh, he was careful, but he had this uh, meeting filmed. And there were apparently two film cameras, one black and white and one in color, in that air base hangar. And it was obviously open, and the aliens stepped out of uh, their ships quite uh, calm and peaceful and friendly. And I don't know if they ever got close enough to touch, you know, or to shake hands. But uh, Eisenhower said, uh, we welcome you to Earth. And they spoke English, according to the test pilot who was there. And they seemed uh, quite friendly. And they expressed their concern 
for America's uh, nuclear test uh, detonation program. We were setting off atomic bombs like crazy back yeah. then. And we were kind of like reckless children playing with matches and gasoline, frankly, in those days. And we were setting off all of this uh, atomic uh, weaponry with great radiation that we underestimated in the land, in the sea, and in the air. So this would have been a pretty valid excuse, I think, for aliens to sit down and say, you know, we want to talk to your leader face to face about this. You're endangering the planet. On top of all the other uh, pollution we were just pouring in through factories and smokestacks and vehicle exhaust and other things back in those days. If you've ever seen pictures of the 1940s and 50s, a lot of major cities were just covered with like this yeah. black soot on the buildings. It was awful. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, like, like the three rivers, uh, you know, I think it caught on fire over in Pittsburgh because there's so much yeah, pollution. Yeah, the river uh, caught on, on fire. fire. So, I mean, that that's a great story. Listen, you're talking, you know, I'm living in New Jersey, so I, I you know, I know I know pollution well, I guess you'd say. Yeah, but, uh, and I think in Cleveland, the river yeah. caught on fire. There was so much poison we're putting in to the land so, and the sea and the rivers and all that stuff. So, so I mean, yeah. I, I got... I got interested in this topic because we're coming up to the 70th anniversary of this, of this meeting. I guess it's February 19th. I think it was 1954 that, that right. they had the meeting. So, uh, and then you alluded in the book 10 years prior, um, Eisenhower met with Churchill and they, I know like the Foo Fighters, the band of Foo Fighters, right. that was always like a, a phenomenon. And, you know, I heard Dave Grohl talk about the Foo Fighters and where they got the name from. I guess the, you know, we, we, it was probably World War II is probably one, one of the first, aviation areas you had that you know um you had a lot of air camp campaigns and then they had some interactions with these food fighters so what happened in 1944 with the with eisenhower and churchill in that meeting you alluded a little bit of, yeah. in that a few years ago there was a, a man who came forward and said my grandfather was an raf pilot who was used as a bodyguard for winston churchill and he told an amazing story that Eisenhower and Churchill met and openly discussed in front of a few people, including the bodyguard, all these UFO sightings only in those days, as you mentioned, they would call them Foo Fighters, orbs, uh, daylight discs, whatever. Mm. It was a new phenomenon. And they were buzzing in and around our allied fighters and bomber planes and such during the war. So one particular case, a very good-sized UFO that was buzzing around, I believe, a bomber plane, and everyone was really worried about it. And Eisenhower met with Churchill, and they discussed it and said, we better keep the lid on this. People might have their faith shaken in uh, the course of human events, their religious faith, their education. Uh, for now, let's just cover this up and say nothing and uh, the bodyguard reported this in a letter some years later that he heard this and he swears the story is true. And that was an early indication that Eisenhower felt it best that the American public not learn of these things that were not ready for this, in his opinion. And I don't know, he might have been right back then. Hmm. That's what I was going to ask you, think your personal opinion, because I think in, you alluded to in the book, like the alien said, I guess they were going to have like a clean offer Eisenhower clean gas and also reveal themselves. But Eisenhower, this is the 54 meeting, thought that, you know, the world wasn't ready for that. I mean, do you, do you agree with that from doing all your research? Yeah, it's a tough call. He didn't want to disrupt the economy and cause a stock market crash. But supposedly, one eyewitness said the aliens offered a clean energy system 
and it would have to replace all of our energy systems in your homes and your cars and factories and everything. And Eisenhower was a very conservative man. He actually got baptized, uh, the first president to be baptized in his first month in office. He was a hardcore Christian, a very religious churchgoer. Yeah. So he wasn't too prone for a lot of change. Yeah. And nobody yeah. wanted to be the president to set off a possible stock market crash and unemployment. So right. he wasn't too keen on uh, that idea. Yeah. Well, you know, we're kicking ourselves yeah. ever since. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, well, one thing I have to say is like, well, how come they ever came back and offered that? You know, yeah. you hear about like I grew yeah. up in the 80s. They, you know, they said we're going to be out of oil. And next thing you know, here it is 40 years later. So we still we're still driving oil cars. So I mean, could, I could you come they, back and yeah, so, again? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll bring it back. But uh, um, well, Eisenhower decides he gets some information from Truman. You know, uh, I think when he was looking, because I don't think he really renounced that he was, he alluded to the book days were Republican until, until later on. But then he had, he had a moment when he was, I guess he decided to run for president. He was on a, was an aircraft carrier somewhere in the Pacific. And I think that's where he had his, his first interaction with the. Oh yeah. He was on the coast of France inspecting our military readiness uh, for president Truman. He was still um, general Eisenhower back in those days in January 52 and as soon as he got back, he decided, I'm going to announce for president. But anyway, while aboard this ship, according to an eyewitness who was there and wrote an article in a New York uh, City newspaper, uh, I think in 1997, uh, Eisenhower was trying to sleep during a violent storm on this uh, uh, ship, the USS Franklin Roosevelt, which had, uh, I think, nuclear weapons aboard. And it was a nasty stormy night and Eisenhower came up on the bridge looking for coffee because he couldn't sleep and uh, it was thundering, lightning, high winds and choppy waves. And while they were standing around talking in the bridge, they saw this disc, this lit up disc uh, hovering over the ship and it didn't really move too much. And they all just stood there looking at it. I don't know if anyone got any footage or grabbed a camera. They were all astounded, and it said that the disc did not seem particularly affected by the storm. It hovered in place quite peacefully for about 10 minutes at least. And so, you know, this wasn't a fleeting glimpse. This is something that just hung there and obviously mm -hmm. wanted his attention, and yeah. uh, he gave it to them. And according to the, uh, uh, the naval officer who was there and wrote the article, Eisenhower said as soon as it uh, zipped away, that, uh, well, I'll look into this, boys, and you keep it under your hat for now. And he said, we never heard back from him. So, <laughs> yeah, so the officer wanted to write that story and get it out before he passed away, uh, because that was 1952, and by the, the late 1990s, he was getting on. So that's uh, another uh, similar story to the test pilot who spoke out in the early 1980s, and he said, everyone from the encounter that night in 54 is dead, and I'm the last person, and I don't want this story to die out. So he told it, tried to keep his true identity identity anonymous so he wouldn't lose his pension, his health care plan, uh, yeah. have anyone bothering him, you know. And uh, so uh, it's it's just an astounding, exciting story, a U.S. president meeting with human-like extraterrestrials. Yeah, well, I mean, it's great. I guess you started out your book, it's, I guess it's, what was it you said? It was the best, uh, the best, uh, best story never told? I guess yeah, that, yeah it was it's like the greatest that. story you've never really heard. You never really heard, and, uh, so... According so, uh, to one eyewitness, uh, the Vatican has the film footage. They've got uh, uh, a man named Cristofaro Barbato reports on the Vatican, and he had a source that took him aside and said, we've seen the footage. Uh, there's black and white, and there's color film footage of Eisenhower 
greeting these human-like beings, and he said uh, they put on uh, an air show for him. They wanted to show what they could do. And as the uh, the crafts were buzzing back and forth and flying around over the tarmac and the runway at Edwards, uh, it shorted out one of the black and white cameras, so that the film <laughs> yeah the film abruptly stops, but the color film went all the way. Uh, recently, there was a film called The Eleventh Green that tried to recreate this, and uh, the advertising shows two cameramen operating like uh, newsreel cameras on either side, capturing this event. So it would be awesome if somebody were to leak that footage, wouldn't it? Uh, that, yeah, uh, well, blow that I guess story you, wide open. I guess you always complain of Vatican; they have all the good stuff. So you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there was supposedly the Archbishop of uh, the West Coast of America was called in at one point. Uh, they wanted to start getting opinions from other people about these friendly aliens. And how do we handle uh, telling the American people this or should we keep it covered up? And one of the factors that scared Eisenhower, as you read in the book, is allegedly the alien visitors could cloak themselves, make themselves yeah. appear invisible which is technology we're just now getting a bit of a grip on and, and starting to have some success with. But they knew how to make themselves invisible yeah. uh, to the naked eye and then reappear somewhere else. And so this had to have been very, very disconcerting to a conservative leader like Eisenhower, who ultimately told them, you're going to have to go. Our world isn't ready for this. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, where we stand with these particular uh, species, this race, Today, I don't know. Yeah, well, like I think Harry Reid, like when that funding came out about cloaking, everybody's like, "What is he crazy?" I think Harry Reid uh, proposed that legislation. I, I think I heard in the yeah. news. So, but uh, getting back to the fifty-four summit, he he didn't really accept anything from him. But you alluded to in the book that he did allow them almost like say passage to a certain area to do some research. Is that is that correct? Yeah, according to a, a document leaked in 2017 from the Defense Intelligence Agency, an agreement was forged between Eisenhower and the extraterrestrials. And the, a, the ETs wanted a quiet place to sit down and do some research where we would monitor them. And they, they selected an air base out in the Nevada desert. And we would agree to bring them uh, like plant and animal specimens. And they would bring uh, some technology to us. What exactly... Uh, pardon me, that consists of, I don't know to this day, uh, but we've certainly had an explosion in uh, technological advances since that time. Uh, this was a, a 1989 document leaked in 2017, and it, it made clear that not only did Eisenhower have this meeting, he had two more with them, one at Holloman Air Force Base, uh, maybe two of them, uh, in uh, 1955. So I looked up those dates, and, and you cross-reference with Eisenhower's uh, digitized pre presidential records, and by golly, it it does align where this could have happened. Yeah. Obviously, he's not going to leave it in there. I met with aliens on this day. Yeah, yeah, leave, exactly. Leave the evidence behind. Yeah. This would have been super top secret stuff. Yeah. But uh, the, the dates do align with uh, openings in his schedule. And then you also alluded to it earlier in the interview about the hydrogen bomb and the Bikini Islands. You know, it was. But 200 times or two two thousand times greater than the atom bomb, yeah. and I think he met with them in February and he dropped the bombs uh, as test test bombs and basically devastated the uh, the Bikini Islands. And that was a couple months after. So you think you think there was they were forewarning them like you're kind of playing with fire here with the, with these uh, with 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 this with this. Uh, I think so. Uh, yeah, that they knew from monitoring us somehow. 
that we were uh, not fully grasping the power and the radiation and the deadly chemicals that were uh, coming from all blasts. But as you mentioned, this was uh, called Castle Bravo. It was an enormous explosion, way bigger than what our scientists thought they were going to do when they triggered this thing in Bikini Atoll in the Pacific. I've also learned that uh, there was a UFO sighting around that uh, detonation, uh, which is very interesting. Might have been mm -hmm. the same race or maybe another one. So uh, it led to a big mess in 54 weeks or like about 10 days after the Eisenhower encounter at Edwards Air Force Base, where they asked, could you stop, you know, your atomic bomb program? And Eisenhower told the aliens, I'm not going to disarm unilaterally and uh, not until I find out other nations, you know, like Russia or China or England are, would be willing to stop uh, building them and test detonating. So... This led to the uh, the atomic weapon program continuing, uh, at least for the next few months. And then uh, you mentioned a little bit of book about the uh, the blue book. What is what exactly is the blue book? Uh, uh, Project Blue Book. Your Project Blue Book, yes. Yeah, that was begun, uh, I think, under Eisenhower, and uh, it was the U.S. Air Force uh, had a very great interest in UFO sightings, and they would send representatives to look into this. What they released to the public after they closed uh, U, uh, Project uh, Blue Book in late 1969 under President Truman or the Nixon <laughs> was the, the most obvious cases that this was easily disproven in that. But a number of sources said the most juicy, uh, uh, easily uh, extraterrestrial cases were not included in Project Blue Book. They just cut them out and let the public think, well, there's nothing. It's it's all explainable. They just didn't want a panic to happen. Nobody wants people quitting their jobs, quitting school, quitting churches, leaving their families to go off in search of aliens or find out where the landing uh, is and wanting to talk to them or, you know, uh, going a little loopy, mm -hmm. as we've seen some people kind of go overboard in our society yeah. uh, on well, various there, things. Yeah, Like everything else. I mean, and there was yeah. a one memo you, you referred to. Uh, then the memo escapes me. The one memo, it was an M something or other. The, the MJ 12 committee, MJ, yeah, yeah MJ. the Cutler Twining memo is kind of famous in UFO research circles. I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on it, but it claimed uh, to back up the idea of the MJ 12 committee by having, uh, according to this document found, I think in the 1980s. Uh, it claimed that uh, President Eisenhower would meet with the U.S. Air Force. Uh, head officer Nathan uh, Twining, General Twining, who later okay. became chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, and I looked up in Mr. Eisenhower's records, and by golly, Twining did show up on that date uh, for lunch hour with uh, Mr. Eisenhower. So I, I think there could be some credence to that famous document. Well, like I said, your your uh, detail in the book is 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 really there's a there's a lot there. But uh, and then you also lean a little bit on. The uh, the Georgia Six, the six state troopers that you're saying allegedly was in Augusta, and then that they yeah. ended up escorting them to uh, Edwards Air Force Base. I guess it's also it was also called uh, Murak Air Force Base. Right. Uh, so, so it so. was out in the California desert. If you were picking a site to meet aliens, you couldn't have done any better than way out in the desert, away from any small town. Uh, Edwards Air Force Base was not all that well built up, but it was surrounded by mountains. And, and acres, miles and miles of dry lake bed where we tested our top jet planes and such. 
and we had our science and technology division based out there for aerodynamics and flight. So if you wanted experts to look over a craft, and there is one rumor I included in the book that they did gift us a craft and that these uh, Eisenhower did allow uh, some of his bodyguards to pick the darn thing up. It was really lightweight. They handled it like it was nothing. Uh, I don't know if they tossed it in the air, but that's yeah. one story that came out of this that I wanted to include that we may have been given this gift to look over at our discretion. And, and uh, as any other countries, privy the, I mean, was there any other, you know, just, you just talk about well, Eisenhower in our country. Do you know of any other interactions, any world leaders at the time, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a very good question, and I don't know that much. In England, uh, there's a man who said he was near uh, Lord Mountbatten's estate out in the country, and there was this craft, uh, very similar, a circular silver disc with like tripod legs just resting on the lawn of his property. Yeah. And uh, it is said that Lord Mountbatten uh, privately had a very great uh, interest in UFOs, and so did um, Prince Philip, who was like his best friend in the royal yeah. family, he just passed on a year or so ago. And sure. my uh, publishers tried to send a copy of our book there to Prince Philip, and he died like a month later. So I yeah. don't know if he ever got a hold of it. But uh, according to many experts, Prince Philip had a tremendous interest and a huge private UFO book collection, and no one ever seems to dispute this. So that could have been one nation that if they met in private out in the countryside, with a member of the royal family or someone from parliament, it's possible. Uh, whether they went to Russia or China, these um, human-like aliens, I, I simply don't know. Yeah. And then you also mentioned, talked a little about Cespedes. You said that was kind of almost like based on uh, uh, E.T., the, the, the alien, I guess, that, that survived. And uh, kind of like it was, you thought that that might have been like what, what the E.T. Uh, movie was based on? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Spielberg told um, a story that he was filming or, or he was showing his film E.T. in the summer of 82 to President Reagan. And after it was over, this this wild rumor went around for years that Reagan turned to him and said, you know, you don't know how true this story is. The story of E.T., the extraterrestrial. Yeah. Well, just a few years ago, Spielberg broke down and said, that story is true. Reagan oh, okay. said that without smiling to me at that screening. He said there were astronauts there present. He says, you don't know how many people in this room know that story is true. Well, because you, so, yeah. you alluded to that in your book. You, you go, I mean, one thing, it's almost like a good presidential historical book, too, because Reagan was the governor of California at the time right. and then, you know, and was friendly with Eisenhower. So yeah. it's just. Uh, Reagan was in, inaugurated, I think, in 67. And uh, he would not have been in power. He was an actor back in 54. Okay. But uh, I, I hope you saw the point, and uh, I'll, I'll just raise it on my own, that exactly 10 years to the day of the Eisenhower encounter, the President of the United States, Lyndon B. Johnson, just happens to get on the phone to Eisenhower, fly all the way across the country, and meet with Eisenhower in private. There were some gaps in their schedule. They could have gone to an Air Force base or something. And a source that claims there was a uh, like a presidential UFO uh, visit or an encounter in 64, a scientist named Edward uh, Moraine. So maybe Johnson had to go out and consult with uh, Eisenhower, who was in retirement in Palm Springs in those days, and talk about this agreement that he worked on. If it was a 10-year agreement, should they renew it? And what's the latest? So that's a possibility that I put in my book. 
I, I find it so hard to think that this is just pure coincidence that uh, on the exact 10 year anniversary, you got to fly all the way across the country and huddle with Dwight Eisenhower. Yeah. Cause you also alluded about Kennedy. Kennedy was, you know, really with the moon landing, he funded the space program. So, you know, unfortunately he got assassinated. Johnson took over. And then you said about the 64 mentioned, and then you move on to Nixon who was, Eisenhower's VP, obviously he lost to Kennedy in 60, but, uh, and, and tell me about his, if he had any interactions or, or what, you know, I think 73, there was, there was, there was something right. that, on the exact yeah. anniversary date here. It is again, February 19th, 1973, uh, Jackie Gleason's, uh, ex-wife said he came home ashen face, all shook up. And she said, what happened to you? Where have you been? And he <laughs> said, I've been at an Air Force base with the president of the United States, Richard Nixon. And he showed me the hard proof. We've got bodies. Yeah. You know, we, he may have been shown a craft as well. Uh, it makes a great sequel, as you can see, to my Eisenhower book, because Nixon was Eisenhower's vice president for eight long years. And he wanted power and he achieved it in 68. And uh, Jackie uh, probably bugged him all the time. Uh, boy, I'm hitting by the sunlight here. Uh, yeah. Where'd I go? There I am. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, I thought you uh, might get. I thought you might have gotten beamed up somewhere. Yeah. Somebody, yeah. <laughs> the, the interview uh, was uh, starting to get older. So. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> so uh, it turns out Gleason and Nixon were old friends who were golfing all the time and talked about things in private. And I'm sure Gleason who was so obsessed with the paranormal and UFOs, I asked him over and over. And finally, Nixon relented and showed him uh, just a few days before Jackie's birthday in February of 73. I don't think it's a coincidence that it was on the exact anniversary date. I think uh, Mr. Uh, Nixon had to be there at an Air Force base regarding this treaty. Uh, that's my uh, speculation or hypothesis. Okay. So he just took along Jackie and decided, what the heck, let's give this guy what he wants. Let him see some bodies, as long as uh, he promises not to talk about it. Yeah, and I think that, you know, talk about Jackie Gleason. I mean, I know him from the Honeymooners. New Year's Day, they always have the Honeymooner Marathon. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, you know, out of all the people that think that would be friends and, and somebody would be interested in UFOs, you know, Jackie Gleason, but he was into it. I guess he had an extensive library he uh had a, um a house up in westchester it was like almost like a like pill pill shape that it almost looked like a um a um, um a spaceship yeah he built the uh, custom built had it built in an air an airplane hangar and then shipped to his site on the edge of a, a bluff in uh, westchester county outside of new york city to make it look like you're flying in a ufo and with these big bay windows and he filled it with like a Tesla coil, mm. telescopes. He was obsessed with UFOs. He wanted to feel like he was living in one. Uh, I don't think he lived in it too much. Uh, according to an article I read, he would actually sleep in a house next door. But mm. this big circular house was uh, like his fantasy house that he paid like a million bucks for. And for Jackie, you know, he was super wealthy. He earned up to $14 million a year, which was an enormous sum in the yeah, 50s that, and 60s. So he would uh, call up UFO eyewitnesses and UFO authors and quiz them over every last detail about what they saw. He was so obsessed with that story, with that and subject. Then, and he was down in uh, Miami. So I guess these bodies were taken... Uh, at, uh, you alluded to the book uh, at Homestead 
Air Force Base, which is uh, right. you know down down there. So I guess it was in driving distance. So yeah, uh, Jackie uh, sold his UFO house to CBS in '64 and moved lock, stock, and barrel to Miami so he could be in warmer weather to golf every day. Yeah, and they said he said if you don't like it, don't hire me, but I'm going. So they. Yeah. Moved the entire cast and crew and production of the Jackie Gleason show to the Miami theater. And he could just drive there back and forth every day. And he would say, Miami audiences are the greatest audiences in the world. And <laughs> he had a home custom built on a golf course and he hosted his own CBS golf uh, tournament with celebrities and pro golfers. And that's what Nixon showed up on February 19th, 1973. I've got uh, the newspaper articles on that uh, uh uh, address by Nixon. He sat down on the golf course in a helipad and he got out and, and Jackie picked him up an electric golf cart and took him over to meet the press. And the two were good pals. And then Nixon took off. And I believe it is later that night, Nixon sent back his helicopter and picked Jackie up so he wouldn't have to drive. Nixon and Gleason were both lousy drivers who liked to tipple a little during the evening, yeah, yeah. but they didn't have to drive either one of them. Nixon had a helipad behind his Key Biscayne home. And Jackie had a helipad on the golf course right near his house. So all they had to do was take about a 15, 20-minute flight uh, to Homestead Air Force Base south of Miami. And that's where Jackie said, I, here's where I was with the president. And uh, he showed me these bodies in a kind of secluded building, a laboratory of sorts, and that uh, they were these small little gray aliens with big pointy ears and big bug eyes and uh, he was just flabbergasted. He finally got his wish come true, and Nixon was his good pal. And what did he do? He blabbed about it as soon as he got home. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sure they told him, don't talk about this, but his yeah. wife demanded, where uh, have you been? Yeah. I guess it goes against his uh, Ralph Cramden here in Blabbermouth. Yeah. So, you know. To, you yeah, know, <laughs> yeah. Ralph Yeah, on his show, remember, he came out in a costume and declared, I am the man from space. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was so obsessed. Yeah. But you you have that book, uh, Nixon Gleason, Alien Encounter. So that's a, that's your second book. How many books have you written on this yeah. on this topic? And how did you get involved in, in this topic? On the presidential UFOs, just these two that you see here, but on UFOs, I'm from Cape Girardeau, Missouri. We had a UFO crash in 1941, and I kept waiting for someone to research and write a book on this, so I decided I'll do it. And I did. Uh, I made a mistake. I thought it happened on April 12th, uh, 1941, and I find out now that that is not accurate, so I put together a whole new compendium, put everything really solidly together, and... My publisher died. Yeah. His son yeah. came in, folded the whole well, company. Now I, I got to yeah. find a new publisher. So yeah. that so, book is on hold, but it'll be worth it, I tell you. So, <laughs> so how, how many books have you wrote altogether? Oh, uh, she's seven, eight, nine. Uh, I've written uh, a Christian adventure novel mm. and uh, a comedy novel, and it did include real-life UFO information. Uh, I've written uh, one on the JFK assassination, and uh, someone who was very much into that subject but doesn't believe everything gave me a really good review on that book. Uh, but I had a publisher who did almost no advertising, almost no marketing. Okay. I had to do stuff myself. You find that out as a writer. You think, oh, this will be good. I'll write it, and then someone else will market in the advert. No. Yeah. you got to get on social media and constantly and, and on podcasts and you know make a name for yourself. 
it's like writing is almost practically yeah. like 30% of the whole process. Yeah. And then um, I, I know you talked a little bit about the, the Georgia State Troopers. You mentioned that a couple of times in the book. And then I didn't know about this, but you said that there was a United States uh, Stonehenge down in Georgia. And yeah. it had it had like uh, 10, almost like 10 you know written things. And I got yeah. them written down here. Maintain humanity under 500 million perpetual balance with nature. Guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. Unite humanity with a living new language. Uh, rule, rule, passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Uh, let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in world court. Avoid, avoid petty laws and useless officials. Balance personal rights with social duties. Prize truth, broody love, seeking harmony uh, with uh, with uh, infinity, and be uh, be not a cancer on earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room. Uh, leave room for nature. So it says it twice. It's almost like a, you know, like somebody would have like a self help book. So you, you yeah. alluded to the fact that probably the, the last trooper wanted to leave like a mark on like this was like a message. I mean, yeah. do you agree, do we agree with that or? Yeah. It's a theory I put forward. Eisenhower was always protected when he went to Augusta dozens and dozens of times by Georgia state highway patrol troopers. And I think they were there at the Eisenhower alien encounter in California. I found evidence of that in Eisenhower's presidential records in which he talked about uh, signing an autograph for this group of Georgia troopers that were out in Palm Springs to guard it at an unspecified event. Well, gee, what could that have been on February 19th, yeah. the exact date? So he was used to these troopers. And as their numbers began to dwindle, as the decades went by, someone in 1979 authorized the construction, and he paid for it, of these Georgia Guidestones, these, this monolith out in the middle of the, a Georgia cow pasture. It's since been blown up. <laughs> it's been destroyed, and I'll get to that in a second. But no one knew who this guy was. He, This man showed up and said, I want to put up this monolith for other people to uh, learn how to correctly or wisely navigate uh, life on Earth. And it almost sounded like uh, guidance from an extraterrestrial, frankly. Yeah. The guy paid for all of this and he disappeared and he never showed up again. So where did they want to put this? This, this guy who was named R.C. Christian, that's what he gave his name as, okay. he wanted it in Augusta, Georgia, of all places. So uh, it makes you think he might have been among that trooper group or a son of the trooper. Uh, that was guarding uh, Eisenhower, and they uh, learned some things about what the, the aliens advised us to do and put this monument together. A year or so ago, uh, the, the thing was vandalized. The Georgia Guidestones were badly damaged, so the local uh, government blew it up with some dynamite and hauled the pieces away, and now they don't know what to do with it. But we've got the record of uh, what it looked like and what it said. So I propose possibly that this was uh, some sort of extraterrestrial uh, advice, if you want to yeah. call it, possibly stemming from the 54 encounter. And, and then we, we blew it up. So, <laughs> so yeah. that's it. Very nice. <laughs> that's what we think about your advice. So we blew it up. So yeah. well, uh, did you read what the initial greeting was for the aliens when they came down in 54? 
Uh, uh, according to a sergeant who was there, they opened fire on them at oh, the yeah. Air Force Base. Remember, the general said, we're uh, open fire on those bogeys. Uh, the, a sergeant said uh, to a UFO investigator, I was working at Edwards Air Force Base when these five craft came down, three circular, two elongated, and the general was there at artillery practice and said, open fire on those uh, ships. <laughs> and so they they tried to shoot yeah. them out of the sky, and their weapons yeah. had no effect whatsoever. And they said they all uh, ceased fire and stared into the sky as these things came down and landed in front of an airplane hangar on the base. So that yeah. story fits in with, you know, our brand of uh, welcome mat or yeah, uh, welcome yeah. to earth is to yeah. blow it up or shoot at it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, well, well, listen, I mean, I didn't even get, you, you talk about Roswell in the book. I mean, I don't want to take too much of your time, Paul. And, and when, it, you know, I knew I had the right person when I found you on Facebook, we were going back and forth and I sent you something and I love it. You ever think about a, a meeting with aliens is like, Oh yeah, that could happen. So I, I just, I just found it was very comical, like the banter you have about this. And I, I thought, I mean, it was pretty interesting. But just being a student of history, hearing about it, and coming up to the 70th anniversary, I thought it might be something yeah. that people might be a little bit intrigued about. But like, if somebody is interested in stuff, or somebody wants to, well, like, what podcast or what sites would you, would you kind of refer somebody to? to just to kind well, of I. Yeah, I would certainly refer to to read the books from Amazon.com or the audiobooks from uh, Tantor.com. Uh, as you heard them, Tom Beyer uh, reads them quite well, and they yes. did a good job of the audio yes. form. Uh, and then I have Facebook pages. I have Instagram. I have Twitter. You can find me there if you've got some tips and some information on, like, let's say, the Cape Girardeau UFO crash in Missouri 41 or more on Eisenhower. Uh, I've got a website and I really need to work on it. It's pretty yeah. crummy. Yeah. Uh, I'm embarrassed, but at least I'm being honest. And I will yeah. honestly say also, I've never seen a UFO. I've, uh, uh, never witnessed anything, uh, extraordinary like that. So I'm not going to make anything up. I think, uh, your personal honesty and credibility are important. I tried to cram as much information as I could find, as you point out uh, in this interview. There's a lot of data here to chew on yeah. instead of some flimsy story you heard from somebody and you don't do any research. There are yeah. books like that that is just junk. I don't go for that. I try to make it very much worth your money and worth your time to read uh, with sources and references and uh, who said what exactly. So I, I also will go on most any uh, respectable podcast like yours jim and yeah. i sure thank you for having me on well listen it's been it's been great i just want to uh, just leave me two things like um what do you think is going to happen on february 19 2024 you think that there's going to well, be yeah, any, yeah you think there's going to be you gonna i don't know we're going to have to keep an eye on uh, i guess president biden if he's still uh, in office at that time yeah uh, is he going to go on any mysterious trips or disappear? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if there's too many people left in government or in the military who know the whole story now. It's so long ago, so uh, covered up, buried, you know, uh, within files so that uh, what today's young officers or government officials know is beyond me. Yeah. And then lastly, uh, what's your prediction for uh, the Super Bowl? What do you well, think, I'm uh, hoping my Chiefs will prevail, but I think this is going to be tough. The 49ers are going to want revenge on four years ago. They've got McCaffrey, this beast of a running back. So uh, uh, I heard a broadcaster once say, here's what I tell people when I issue predictions. I predict 
that the team with the most points at the end of the game will be declared the winner. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> so that's my prediction, too. Yeah. And what about – I see you got the St. Louis Cardinals banner in the back. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, I'm, I'm here in Missouri, a baseball Cardinal fan. I don't think we're going to have too good of a team. Uh, I'm hopeful the Chiefs will win it all, but I won't be too disappointed. They've been in other Super Bowls. So uh, I'm just looking for good sports entertainment. It's the ultimate reality show. I really enjoy sports, and I hope your program's a big hit. Yeah, well, I, well thanks, Paul. Thanks for your time. And, uh, I mean, were you a Rams fan, and were you always a Chiefs fan? Just... I was also a Rams fan. We lost our team. Yeah. Don't yeah, get so... started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got it All yanked right. away. But the Chiefs are always awesome. They're so entertaining. Winter yeah. Winter. Well, he uh, he's something else. Mahomes is something else. But I mean, and Andy Reid, you know, um, uh, you know that that play to win the game, like you know, that pass to, uh, yeah, you know, this game. Game. I mean, you know, who, who does you know? I, I don't know. They they just keep on pulling rabbits, uh, you know. And so, but anyway, but thanks, Paul. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Good luck with the book. You know, good luck finding a, a publisher. I hope this, you know, this episode gives you traction. I know, uh, you know, it, it was. It, it was fun to listen to your book. I mean, I'm not really into UFOs, but you know, the thing yeah. is, just uh, you make it believable. So, just uh, putting to that, you you give a lot, a lot of detailed information in there. So, all right, well, I thank you for the uh, the uh, thumbs up review, and I hope uh, everyone enjoys this show when it comes on and the book when they go out and get it themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so, so all right, Paul, stay well, be well, and uh, you know, good luck in the Super Bowl. All right, thank you. Uh, uh, take care, Paul. Thank you for uh, watching this episode. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, Paul finds a publisher. His books do well. Very entertaining topic. Very entertaining individual. Uh, Dave said, I could still say uh, he liked the episode. So you got a thumbs up for him. But thanks, Paul. Uh, and uh, see what happens on February 19, 2024. And see what uh, Joe Biden goes. Just the topic. I think it's something to laugh about. But next episode, we'll be back to basketball. So you don't have to worry about that. But uh Feel free to uh, follow me on Facebook at Midlife Crisis Podcast, also uh, on Twitter at, at Whalebones with a Z. Hope you enjoy this episode and look for many more basketball episodes coming up unless we get abducted uh, in 2020, 2024. Have a great day.